We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Good evening. I hope you'll excuse me if I appear a trifle excited. We're only interested in one thing. Can you tell a story, Bob? Can you make us laugh? Can you make us cry? Can you make us want to break out? Enjoy us all. We move fast. Can you take it? No matter what you do now, you're still part of everything that's happening. Used to be in silent pictures. Used to be big. I am big. It's the pictures that got small. We need more heart in motion pictures. You know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? Just put your lips together and blow. Listen to me, Hatcher. You gotta tell him. I just wanna say one word to you. Just one word. Are you listening? The Boulevard of Broken Dreams. We're making another movie. This is the one I'll be remembered for. Welcome to the Sword Cinema Podcast. This week we're going to be taking a look at 1979's Nosferatu the Vampire, written and directed by Werner Herzog. My name is Patrick Murphy. Joining me to talk about this movie is Ricky D. What's up, Patrick? As well as the chooser of this movie, Simon Howell. What up, Patrick? We should be clear, it's vampire with a Y. That's how That you is know. correct. That's how you know <laughs> you're in the authentic territory. I thought you were going to call Simon the chosen one. <laughs> the chosen one. <laughs> um, hey, Simon, why didn't you choose the Lost Boys? Uh, you, you know what? You're free to choose the Lost Boys whenever you like, Ricky. Plus, haven't we already done the Lost Boys? There's no way we haven't done the Lost Boys. We have. We did it like 10, 15 years ago. No, the reason I picked this movie uh, initially was because um, it was only announced a couple weeks ago that Robert Eggers' next movie is going to be his version of Nosferatu uh, starring Anya Taylor-Joy. And I'm kind of interested in that, but the the Herzog version is not discussed as much. Uh, obviously, not as much as the original and not as much as even some other Dracula adaptations. But uh, I think it's got a lot going for it. It's a very unique movie. It is, it's unique in that it is both a very faithful and reverent remake of the original. Uh, but it's also its own movie at the same time. Uh, which is really cool, and almost no one pulls that off. And I just think that's uh, really noteworthy, along with yeah. a lot of other things about this movie that are noteworthy. The whole Nosferatu thing has a great story behind it. I think that's why the the original one is is a little more mythologized. It's you know, it's a it's a very fine movie, but it's got a even better story behind it, which they obviously made a movie about. That was more tongue-in-cheek, I guess. Uh, but before we get into any of that, let's hear a clip from Nosferatu the Vampire. Ich lege keinen Wert mehr auf Sonnenschein und blitzende Fontänen, für die sich die Jugend begeistern mag. Ich liebe die Dunkelheit und die Schatten. Jonathan, fahr nicht. Ich habe ein Gefühl. Ach was. Du wirst in Gefahr sein. Fanny. Er wird mein Essen. Ich muss heute noch zu Graf Draculas Schloss.
Der Fluch wird auf den Menschen lasten. Der Fluch des Vampirs aus Ferratu. That was a clip from Nosferatu, the vampire. Uh, all right. So, yeah, this is a it's it's weird because this is a remake of a movie that was trying to make the story of Bram Stoker's Dracula. But that movie couldn't get the rights to it at the time. So they had to change the names and some of the plot details. And then it still didn't work for them. And the movie got banned. And they were just told to destroy all the copies. But a couple survived. So now we could still watch the original Nosferatu and... Apparently, Werner Herzog is a big fan of that movie, and so he decided to remake it, but then he wanted to add in the names from Bram Stoker's Dracula, <laughs> and the whole thing is, uh, I, I feel like Nosferatu is a very strange property in the first place, because it is essentially Dracula. It's trying to be Dracula. Um, it just had to change a couple of things for legal reasons that it still you know, couldn't really avoid, and then by the time the, the, the copyrights had expired or or the, whatever it was it was it was free for public use um Herzog it joined the public domain in in 70 that's, in, that like, is when, the words I'm and in to fact find. if wikipedia is to be believed the very day that dracula the novel re-entered public domain so that anyone could use it willy-nilly was the very day that herzog commenced the wheels of production on this film uh, you mentioned that he was a big fan of uh, F.W. Murnau's original. In fact, he called it the greatest film in German cinema history. But if you're Werner yeah. Herzog, what do you do with the greatest film in German history? <laughs> well, you remake it, of course, because that's just the kind of motherfucker that he is. <laughs> of course. And you get your uh, your biggest actor to, to go along with it, your your partner, Klaus Kinski. Um. Yeah, it's it's a strange movie. So I don't know what your guys' familiarity is with Bram Stoker's Dracula, the book, and I don't mean Francis Ford Coppola's adaptation. Of course, there have been lots of adaptations of Dracula over the years, um, and this is essentially just one of them. But for me, it's really hard to watch these without comparing it immediately to the book. And there's some of the choices I find of this movie to be sort of bizarre. Um, it's bizarre to me that after the the book got into public domain, that he didn't sort of change a few things to make it more like dracula but he kept it very much like nosferatu <laughs> yeah it, it is it's it is it is it very typical of herzog to have this idiosyncratic approach it is a hundred percent a remake of nosferatu if you yes. go back and watch any part of nosferatu you will recognize something of it in this new movie he just got the rights to the names from yes. the novel so he wouldn't have to use uh, use i guess what you call the bastardizations in the original film. So it's almost like him saying, I'm going to improve on the greatest film in German cinematic history by, uh, by undoing this bit of, uh, of copyright logistics. Uh, and yet there are some odd, odd choices that he makes. Like he makes Lucy be, um, you know, a main character instead of Mina makes Jonathan Harker's wife. And now Jonathan Harker's married uh, instead of engaged. But it's kind of like Mina was the the one who wrote a diary in the original in Bram's mm. Dracula, but he makes it into Lucy. And I kept trying to think, why? Maybe he just liked the name Lucy better than Mina. <laughs> I don't know. They are still sisters, though. Um, yeah, and Mina's in it. 
she's just got a very small part. Uh, she has the the Lucy part, I guess you could say. Um, yeah, a lot of a lot of strange choices, but uh, but very much uh, in line with Nosferatu more so than say than than the original than Dracula. Uh, it has a lot of similarities to Dracula, a lot. Obviously, the story is very very close, and it was always intended to be um, a, you know an imagining of Dracula, but uh, but it does have a lot of changes too. It's just hard for me to watch something like this without because I do really like the book without going mm. through all the different, uh, oh my God, you know, why do they do this? Why do they do that? Why do they change this? <laughs> uh, Rick, what about you? So uh, I just want to say my first impressions of like the movie I thought was a decent telling of this story. And I really like um, Nosferatu himself, but Rick, what was your impression? You've been silent on this so far. Well, you guys know that I put this movie on my list of the 100 greatest horror films made in the 20th century. So I'm a huge fan. I actually think it's maybe my second favorite Dracula film. And that's saying a lot because there's like over 125 movies made about Dracula or at least 125 movies with Dracula in the title. Can I ask so, what your favorite is? Um, God, about specifically Dracula. Yeah. Like you're going to hate me, but I actually love Bram Stoker's Dracula. This is oh, like no, that, Cano- that movie's awesome. Okay, oh. yeah. Like, I mean, Keanu Reeves is problematic in it, but... Oh, sure, yeah. <laughs> I also saw that movie when I was younger, and mm. it introduced me to the novel, and I was actually hoping one of you could explain to me why they reversed the role of Lucy, but I guess you don't know, because I, I was thinking no idea. the same thing, too. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, you guys pretty much nailed it. I mean, this is a remake of Nosferatu with a bit more elements from the novel, mostly little things like the names. Um... I think the reason why I love this movie is because of the mood, the yes. atmosphere, the striking visual cues, the uh, the images, the um, the hypnotic performance by Klaus Kinski, which we need to talk about. Yes, but it's it's like crazy because like Herzog decided to remake what most film critics called one of the greatest movies ever made. They called it a masterpiece. They still do, which could be considered foolish because you're remaking a movie that everyone thinks is a masterpiece, but he puts his own little spin on it. So it's very similar, but yet not the same. There's a lot of images that he recreates. Um, The plot is somewhat similar, but not really. The ending is completely different. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's a, it's an interesting film in terms of like a remake, but I mean, I love vampire movies, but you know, my problem with vampire movies is, they're usually not good. Like, and they're not good because they just don't treat the vampires with like, I don't know what the word is. I was going to say respect, but ah, like the, the thing about this film is Klaus Kinski's character, Dracula, Nosferatu, whatever you want to call him, the beast, the villain. He's a really sad character. This, this, this character, like this is a depressing movie for many reasons. Mm. Like he's a monster. But yet his story is tragic because he says, like, he's cursed. He's going to live forever. And yet he he can't even find love. And he just wishes he can either die or find love or have a real relationship with someone. And, I mean, it doesn't help that the guy looks like a giant rat. He looks like freaking... <laughs> What's a rat from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Splinter. Uh, he looks like Splinter walking around. Looks like Splinter 
going out for Halloween dressed like Dracula. I mean, <laughs> he resembles Shrek from the original film. He's got yeah. the the giant white skin, teeth. the pointed ears, the rat-like fangs, the clawed hands, the giant nails. He's menacing. He's he's clearly like an evil character, but that's really where the similarity ends because his Dracula is burdened and weighed down by this curse. He can never die and never love. And I find that to be what makes Dracula interesting as a character. It's he's cursed. He's not yeah, blessed. The... He's he's got supernatural powers, but he's cursed. Shout out to uh, the QAA boys for making me think about this. But you know, in the original concept of what a vampire is, it, you know, the original reports from which vampire mythos was derived, um, that was just people who didn't understand decomposition and the fact that like corpses could get bloated and move around and do creepy shit. And then the book comes out and completely reconfigures what, how we understand vampires. It introduces this element of um, this, this yearning, this, uh, you might call it a sexual element. You would actually definitely call it a sexual you element. You would, yes. Um, which is quite, which is more explicit in this movie than I remembered, uh, which we can get into. You, you know, I couldn't help but be creeped out watching Klaus Kinski's performance because he really comes across as... I mean, I, I was going to say pedophile, but just as a sexual predator, like the yeah. entire film, like the way he advances on Jonathan and then later Lucy, mm. and he's he's a sexual predator. Like he really is. Like he can never find love. He clearly wants sex, can't have sex. So his like the way he gets off is by sucking their blood. But it's really creepy. Like the way you know the scene when he goes up to Jonathan's bedroom and he's sleeping. And he creeps up on him and just like sort of like bites into his neck. Yes. Like it's like he's raping the dude. Well, it's, and it's the, really, really creepy. That that and a couple other scenes involving Dracula himself, I think, are the. Are the most horror sequences in the movie, like they're even though they're not scored like a traditional horror film, usually, uh, which the music is something we can get into, but there is a certain type of horror if you can clue into it if like if you're if it resonates with your with your particular skull where you're just getting so much mileage out of how klaus kinski is moving how much space he is occupying in the frame coming in or out of shadow with these splaying long nails um he he really is channeling some of that old school horror um Yes, he is, he's is channeling that, that same energy in this new, in this sort of updated aesthetic, which is just a real accomplishment. And and the, the great thing about his physical performance is the characters in the movie do not see him the way we see him. It's like the castle, like they even say the castle doesn't exist. It's an mm. illusion. It's It's a form of black magic. Like Jonathan thinks he finds a giant castle, but he really doesn't. They don't actually see him the way we see him in the movie, like his physical... His physicality, like he looks clearly different to them, right? Like they clearly state this. <laughs> Unless they're crazy. Because <laughs> so if you saw somebody look like that, you'd run the opposite direction. Oh, for yeah. sure. And but like even the plague itself, it appears to be a natural consequence of his presence, right? It's it's not part of like an evil plan to destroy humanity. He mm -hmm. just it it just follows him. Like he accepts the horrible de death of of the population of Wismore. It, yeah. It's a consequence of his actions, meaning that he just arrives, not that he plans it. And and what's what's so sad about it, too, is like he is an evil monster, 
but he doesn't feel remorse for it. But at the same time, he doesn't feel like he's to blame for it because he's cursed and there's nothing. Yeah, he's not. He's not in control of his actions. Exactly. That's the important thing. I have a question for you guys, because uh, when you say the plague comes to town, my impression was that the plague never came to town, that the people are dying because Dracula is killing them. He is the plague. Uh, they think it's the plague, but as Lucy points out, it has nothing to do with disease so much yeah. as it has to do with vampire. Um, is that the is that what you guys got from this as well? Because va- vampirism is always, or not always, but Bram Stoker certainly used it as a metaphor for disease and, and sort of a plague. I mean, so what's interesting about the film is Lucy does say this, and then we have the great Van Helsing who does absolutely jack shit in this movie. <laughs> yeah. who Which is, is awesome, a, by the way. Yeah, he's a man of science, and so he puts aside superstition and religious belief, and he doesn't believe that vampires exist until it's too late. But Lucy does, and cl- clearly Lucy becomes sort of like the hero at the end because she's the one that 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 sort of like tricks Dracula to to like go under her spell, suck her blood until the sun comes up. And then eventually he just like dies. Right. Well, he doesn't die, but he weakens to the point where Van Van Helsing can actually take the stake and drive it through his heart and therefore kill him. But the point is, I think Lucy's the the hero. And it's interesting. It's a, it's a great question because I did think about it. I watched the movie twice this week, but I do think that I do think that in some way it is, linked to vampires and dracula i'm not entirely sure why and how the rats carry the plague and spread it to humans but i'm assuming it's because of the rats going into the coffins of the victims of dracula and somehow catching some sort of like disease that they can spread into the town i didn't take it that literally i thought it was more about you know he's bringing he brings this cursed earth with him as sort of like a talisman, like a like a talisman of his uh, of of the curse that he carries around, and the and the rats and the and the decay are a symbol of death, like the death that he carries with him. I mean, uh, they're a symbol, but there are a thousand rats that he actually there are yes, they're also the literal non symbolic thousand rats real rats he used, <laughs> and they are dying because the rats did bring the plague. I mean, the ship arrives, and there's Dracula, and there's the rats. Yeah. Rats. Dracula kills the entire crew, and and that was something that did happen in the book. Um, the ship shows up with his coffin on, and there's the crew is is gone um, when he gets to England. But yeah, the implication is that one by one he picks off the entire the entire crew, uh, and then he lashes the captain to the to the helm, and uh, and that's the way that they're able to steer. <laughs> which which is interesting because in the film they think that the captain roped himself around the steer himself, which makes no sense. Like why no, would he tie himself you, up? You couldn't tie yourself up like that. It's yeah, not but they actually say that in the movie, which kind of threw me off. I wasn't sure if it was something done by accident in, in the part of the, the the actor delivering the dialogue, or if that's what was actually written in the script. But to uh, be fair, nothing about how the ship arrives makes sense, which they say. In again in the film where like they get the manifest and it's like well the manifest is here but it's gibberish yeah <laughs> like it doesn't but, it literally but the thing, make the, any the, sense the, the thing is it, it is it does I guess it doesn't really matter why the plague happens or what causes the plague because the point is like at the end of the day like the point is that Dracula arrives in the town and that's when everyone dies so regardless if it's him or the rats I mean he did bring the rats which were in the coffin so he's still at fault for spreading the plague. I mean, so the rats, rats are a hell of a red herring if they're not spreading anything, in my opinion. 
Well, I, they look like pretty clean rats to me. Um, <laughs> I can't believe, by the way, that they unleashed... How did they catch all those rats, by the way? Because there's a couple of shots of them just out in the streets of this town. And uh, <laughs> I don't know how you get all those rats back if they don't choose to come back. Let's put it I, that way. You put a bunch of cheese out? I don't know. I have oh a lot... Oh, my God. I have a lot more to say about the rats in a future... Can, can I just say that, like, okay, I was trying to figure out why Simon picked this movie in September, not next month for, like, you know, Halloween. And I'm like, he's trying to, like, outdo me, because last week I picked <laughs> Suicide Squad, which had, like, a thousand rats. Only those were digital rats. Oh, and I, so Simon just I, had to pick the movie that had more rats, except they're real. No, I, to be real, I think that the best reason to talk about this movie on the podcast, there's a lot of good reasons, but I think the best one is that it's a great gateway movie to so many different things. Uh, it's a gateway to Herzog. 70s Herzog, which is like intense and cool. And, you know, Klaus Kinski's there and crazy shit happens. It's a gateway to classic horror. Uh, it's a gateway to all sorts of other weird shit through the trivia, like the fact that Bruno Ganz, future Hitler, uh, is one of the stars of this film. The fact that you have Isabella Gianni, who takes over the second half of the movie, who is, of course, also her own gateway to Zulaski in possession. And uh, the tenant with Polanski. Yes. And like, the tenant, she's worked with the craziest directors in the craziest movies. The tenant, which was written by Roland Topor, who oh, plays who who plays Renfield. Yeah. He's not he was not primarily an actor. He's by the way, his character in this movie is somewhat problematic. Uh, because because he tries to bite a cow, because his performance is just so off compared to the rest of the cast. He's trying to be uh, a character in a different movie, like a Christopher Lee Hammer oh, film. I completely disagree. I love really what he brings to this movie. Oh no, I'm kind of with Rick on this one. Red, Redfield is a little like nails on chalkboard to me uh, in this movie. Like his laugh, he just overdoes the laugh. I, I um, agree. I think he overdoes it. I, I I like his performance. I just think it belongs in a different film. Renfield is a tough character because he was insane. Uh, he was never Harker's boss. I don't know how that ever came to, to pass in this or why, but um, he was an insane character who did mumble a lot of stuff and, and laughed uncontrollably in the book. Yeah, so, he's, a, he's very I, much I in know, the original, yeah. I don't know how you play that and not be annoying. But, but, uh, he's, he, he reminds me of... Um... He reminds me a little bit of the guy who looks after the torture chamber in The Princess Bride. So sorry, I, I oh, just gotta yes. get. I gotta get back Marty to. <laughs> I gotta get back to Dracula. So, do yeah. you not think that you can sympathize for his character to some extent in the sense Absolutely. that he is cursed? Yes, he is. He is in a very real sense, sort of the the tragic hero of this movie. Okay, but then he still brings the plague to the town. It's and he's also a monster, a predator. Like he's he definitely yes, he's a sex predator. I I think it's possible to feel some sympathy for him and want him to go down. Like, yeah. know, know that he needs to be put down. You see, but um, this this is time. why I like the movie, because I feel it's deeper and more thought-provoking than most Dracula films. Just the fact that we're having this conversation and we don't know how to feel about this character, like, we're conflicted. Yeah. Uh, I feel we've, we, we, that's all, I agree with all that, but I feel like we've focused a lot on the characters and the performances when we haven't talked enough about what Ricky already alluded to, which is the vibe. And the sort of old world austerity and the, uh, the, the, the wonderful 70s grain and the look and all the animals 
and the fact that it was done with a small crew and yet it <laughs> still do. feels like quite expansive uh i i love the vibe of this movie it's because herzog makes everything seem natural and real because it is it's like he had to use rats he had to use the mummies which are in the first shot of the film like Holy he shit. actually yeah, decided to go find a museum that would actually let him use a hundred mummies which is so creepy he took the fucking mummies out of the museum i know i read that <laughs> he actually picked them up and placed them on the wall in specific positions <laughs> to get his camera shot i mean that's kind of creepy yeah i mean you would never like no one could ever get away with that now it would never be done <laughs> but 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 it sticks really closely to the visuals of the original in some scenes but not yes. most scenes like that's the thing like he recreates specific images iconic scenes from that original film yeah but the majority of the movie is really a Herzog movie and it looks great. It, it sounds great. It's got like, I mean the, the vibe, the mood, it's a really depressing film and it makes me want to take a shower when I'm finished watching. <laughs> it the is movie. dirty. Yes. It's, it's very dirty. It's grody. Uh, yeah, you talk about how how natural the movie is, and I think that's really key to why it works so much. It takes itself with a complete, I mean, despite even the stuff with Renfield, it takes itself with such a straight face that, first of all, it leads to some inadvertent humor that I do really like, uh, possibly even advertent humor, I don't know. But also, it's just, you. it's the only way you can get away with making a movie in 1979 where a man turns a corpse over and sees two bite marks in the neck uh, and they're dead and their blood is drained. And he says, it is truly a mystery. You know, you need you need to take it completely seriously to carry a line like that off in any way. Except for the very last scene in which uh, Van Helsing finally destroys Dracula. And who is it that walks in? It's he wants he wants the, the cop. But, yeah, the it's, he's, cop. he's not a cop, he's, but he's some kind of local magistrate or so maybe a town council member. He's an officer like of the court or something. Who doesn't yeah. understand that all the cops are dead. Yeah. And he <laughs> wants... Yeah, yeah. He wants the old man to arrest him and put him in jail. Like, I could not stop laughing at that. Yeah, he throws in some farce right at the end just for fun. It's so, so weird. It comes in right at the very end of the film. And it's like, whoa, where did this come from? It's obviously going after bureaucracy in some way. I mean, he definitely is trying to say something about the way that the people were living at the the time. Or maybe try to comment on modern society. There's clearly scenes of, you know, when, when Lucy's, I keep wanting to call her Mino, but when Lucy's walking through town, and, you know, just seeing the people dancing in the streets and they're throwing out all their stuff. And there's something going on there. Yeah. I couldn't quite latch onto it. I think but... it's the idea of people being in denial when faced with a pandemic or death or <clears throat> also, yeah, or um... <laughs> what? No, no, no it's it true, just, it, was, right? it was a funny, timely comment. That's all. <laughs> well, but it's true. Like, I mean, yeah. and like. It, it it's not easy to accept something like that can kill everyone in your town, knowing that you're gonna die. And like that that scene that Patrick pointed out is really hypnotic and creepy, and and just like sends shivers down my spine every time I see it. It's like a lot of it is in slow motion. You got that the sound. I don't know who made the music for the movie. I want to like search this. I just uh, didn't have time. But the soundtrack is incredible. Mainly, it's by Popova. I don't know how to pronounce. It. Anyway, they're the the group that scored pretty much all of his uh, 70s films. So there's a little Wagner in there as well. Oh, okay, 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 yeah. But but I, I wanted to know what you guys think of the pacing because some people say the movie has pacing issues. I think it might at the start 
because the movie moves very slow, very, very slow at times. And it's because shots linger. You get like a lot of establishing shots of the town or the mountains or the castle or whatever it is. And there's long pauses and especially there's long pauses in between the dialogue. Like you, you said, Simon, that they, they, the actors perform like they're in a silent film and they do in terms of like their physical mannerisms, they over-exaggerate everything. You know, for example, when Lucy wakes up from the nightmare, but at the same time, even when they, even when they talk, they, there's like long pauses. And I thought it's because um, there was like a lot of voiceover done in editing, but no, like I I realized afterwards that I was like doing some research and he shot the film in English and in German at the exact same time, because he didn't want to do any voiceover. Yeah. So the, there's, there seems to be some confusion about this because I assumed from watching it, uh, because if you, I have the, I have a Herzog box set that's got all of his 70s stuff in it and you can watch the German version or you can watch the English version. Um, what a lot of people assume and what I assumed is that he shot it in German and then also did takes in English and just had them in some cases doing phonetic English if they couldn't literally speak it, which with a few of the bit performers, you kind of get the sense that they really don't speak English. Um, but, uh, it turns out that that's not, neither is quite accurate. Like he shot some of it in English and some in German and dubbed some of it and left some as it is. Um, okay i'm glad you said that because when i started watching the movie right at the start like the first 15 minutes before he gets to the castle i felt that it was overdubbed in post-production because it didn't sync up to the lips yeah so um were you watching in english or german i watched it in english but i've seen it in german in the past and it's way better in german so i've i watched both i actually think both versions are perfectly fine um the the energy of the movie is pretty much the same no matter which like regardless of which version you watch i would say the only real difference is that some of the english line readings especially the bit the bit actors are a little on the stiff side and some of the german readings are more natural but 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 like when you get to the final scene for example when you watch it in in german like it doesn't come across as hokey and campy and weird and funny Mm. because it's in german you know what I mean? Like you're reading subtitles. <laughs> right. And so nothing is ever funny in German. In German. Yeah, be because because you think that it's just it's just um the uh the the subtitles are badly translated, right? But you don't you don't see it in the actual performance. But when you watch it in English, like scenes like that can I don't want to say take you out of the movie, but it does kind of feel like again, it belongs in a Christopher Lee film, not like in a Hammer film, mm. not necessarily in this movie. But but in regards to the pacing, like it's weird because there are strange edits like in terms of like the passage of time like for example jonathan would be running around the castle and next thing you know it cuts and he's like in bed and something happened to him type thing like and you're like well what happened like how yeah, much time he, has passed like he avoids certain things and he also he focuses on things for a long time that other people wouldn't while also spending very little time on things that other people would spend time on there's a pretty good example um there's like a 15 second shot of a mountain range somewhere in this movie i'm sure of it but there's also about a two and a half second shot of a small man straddling a pig on top of a table (laughs) it's like (laughs) as soon as you register what's happening he cuts to something else (laughs) but 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 i was trying to figure out if the passage of time the problem i have with it and many people do it's because herzog wants you to get lost because he wants you to feel what dracula feels in a sense that he lives forever and time passes in strange ways for him as a vampire, because I really don't know how much time has passed from the start of the film to the end of the film. 
Yeah, they... No, you, you never have a very clear sense of that. He definitely doesn't. I mean, I think you get the sense that there's there's the beginning is a long journey, but um, you don't really know how long. Uh, I think in the in the in the book, well, they were obviously coming from England, so it was it was more like months. I think he does uh, actually say they have a conversation he and Dracula about how long it takes, and he's and I believe he says it's a number of months, and then Dracula replies with, "Oh yes, it is long, but when you travel by land, Simon, it's <laughs> Count Dracula." <laughs> oh, sorry, Fuck. the man. Okay, but going back to Lucy for a second, so when Dracula goes into her bedroom and bites into her neck and sucks her blood is that equivalent to her losing her virginity like is she a virgin in this movie no yes, she's right? married she's married but that's movie. what i was trying to figure out because that's the thing like she's married so she's not a virgin i would assume that's not necessarily true marriage. you can be it's a not necessarily virgin. but i don't i never got the impression that it was i actually got the opposite impression that she knew exactly what she was doing that this is she was giving herself up for this person but not sacrificing yeah. any it, it not sacrificing yeah, virginity, though, or something yeah, like exactly. that. Exactly. She clearly knew what she was doing. She's the only person in this movie, or at least in the town, that knew what was going on. But what what I the reason why it confused me is because, like, again, they switch roles. So I haven't read the book since I was like a teenager. But is Lucy a virgin in the book? Yes, she's 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 has suitors in the book, and there's three guys trying to trying to get engaged to her. And Mina is also because she is only engaged to Jonathan Harker. She they are not married in the book yet. Their fiancés. Um, yeah, her Lucy's position in the movie is really interesting because she is de- she is depicted as having sort of a virginal purity and uh, something something pure that Dracula badly desires just from seeing her portrait and her neck. That that's why I'm trying to figure out what the psychosexual connection is between him and her. Like why specifically Lucy? Because that's why I assumed she was a virgin. I don't think he's seen a woman in a long time either. Yeah. <laughs> there's plenty of women outside of his castle. <laughs> and there's plenty of sheep. Um, what's up with the little boy playing the violin yeah the little yeah oh i love that that's a that's one of the most herzogian touches in the movie for sure when uh when when harker falls from a great height and apparently like fucks up both his legs or whatever um and that that kid is just playing violin over his possible corpse very good yeah did you know that there was like i mean there was like so many movies made about dracula and vampire movies in the 70s but i think this specific year when a movie was released there was a ton of films released that year that were all competing at the box office um so like i don't know if this did well like again i didn't do any of my research i'm just wondering if the movie actually did well i believe they said it it turned a profit i don't know that it did amazing but it it did okay I, I think my general impression of Herzog in the seventies and like in like the Kinski era, which, in terms of pub, the public imagination, was definitely the time when he was the most popular. Like, it was it was his most successful period as a narrative fiction filmmaker, mm-hmm. uh, I think. And I I pretty consistently his movies were seen by people at least at least by art house movie standards. Yeah, and this had, I mean, Nosferatu had a name, Dracula movies were hot, so I think you could have got, a, you could have convinced a general audience to see this. I think the image of Kinski as Nosferatu is a pretty striking one. Um, it, it would still be striking today. Um, it's just a great, a great conception of that character. 
uh, always has been. The original Max Shrek version is still like it's iconic. So I think people see that face, and you can get them to go to a movie theater just based on that face. There's also a fun meta quality to the fact of you know Max Shrek himself being somewhat of a mystery and an, an enigma, and like who do you get in that period who can bring a similar level of uh sort of a, what a what I would just call it a, like a, an X factor or a WTF factor? I mean, it's motherfucking Klaus Kinski. <laughs> Right. Uh, the, the, the madman of, of European cinema at the time. Because you uh, know he's going to completely and fully embrace the... He'll, he'll, the he's going to commit to the bit. Yes. Uh, Herzog, <laughs> Herzog and Kinski were in a constant battle to see who could commit to the bit more. Although it does seem like from reading, surprisingly, that this uh, the production of this film went pretty smoothly. Other than for the rats, which we'll get to later. Yeah, apparently... Um, from what I read, he had more of an issue directing um, the actress as opposed to Klaus Kinski in this specific film. Yeah, I mean, he didn't uh, until up until that recent one he did with Kidman, which apparently no one liked. Uh, virtually every Herzog movie is about men. It's like the characters are pretty much all men. The protagonists are all men. So Adjani really stands out here um, because she is essentially the protagonist of the second half of the movie. Um, I think she's really good, by the way. She's amazing. But from what I've read about Isabella Gianni is that she is problematic on set. And apparently she did give Herzog some issues. But apparently Klaus Kinski like fell in love. Well, not fell in love, but he loved whoever did the makeup for him. It was that famous Japanese mm. makeup artist. So he got along with several people on set, which helped him like just be more manageable. I mean, Klaus Kinski is like sort of like a really terrible person based on his own biography and the documentaries made about him. But I mean, even his own biography, he pretty much states how bad of a person he is. So I can't, I, I can't imagine being on a set with Klaus Kinski, Isabel Adjani, Bruno Gans, and Werner Herzog. That must be hell. <laughs> <laughs> or the greatest thing ever. I mean, it'd be like you're sitting on top of a powder keg. When is it going to blow? It could be exciting. Going back to my question about the budget. So, yeah, it, it did make a profit, but it only cost $5 million to make, which I guess $5 million in, like, 1970-whatever was, like, maybe, like, $50 million now. I'm not sure, but... Well, wait a second. $5 million, $5 million what? U- U.S. dollars? That's a good question, Patrick. I don't know. It just says $5 mil. It says D-E-M okay. 2.5 million. No. Oh, that's Deutschmarks, right? Yeah, I'm not sure. German Deutschmarks is what they would have been using back then. Why can't they just um, use regular money like everyone else? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I think uh, I don't know what the exchange rate was back then. To tell you the truth, but <laughs> you mean you don't know what the exchange rate was for German I money? <laughs> I don't have that right off the top of my head. 1979 to, from the German mark to the U.S. dollar, <laughs> but. Did you also like think that Herzog limited the dialogue because while he was still trying to draw from the actual novel, he was still trying to do a remake of the original film? Because it feels like there's not a lot of dialogue in this movie. There, no, there's mm, not. There he, isn't, like, but mm, he's what? trying to tell it with images a lot of the time, and I think, yeah. and he is trying to tell it with atmosphere. Like I am a person who likes the beginning of this movie probably more than any other part of this movie, more than the second half of this movie. Uh, I love the, the the journey there, and I love the stopping at the the strange inn and the you know the warning that he gets, and I like when the goose bites that guy's sleeve. All the weird little interactions with the animals. Um, yeah, I love that whole that whole journey. To me, is is uh, very mesmerizing. You you like that twenty minute shot up the yeah. mountain? 
I do. I there was something about that that opening. It was very nice, and I I, I enjoyed watching it. Let's put it. I actually love the scene in the inn because it reminds me of American Werewolf in London when they go yes. to the inn. Yeah, very much. I also love the use of shadows in this film because Dracula is often preceded by a, a, a large distorted version of his shadow. And in maybe like the movie's most memorable scene, like maybe best scene, like he appears in Lucy's bedroom and he approaches her as she looks in the mirror but she can't see him because clearly his reflection does like clearly the, the mirror won't catch his reflection but she can't see his his um his shadow and the way herzog finds a way to film that without cgi is pretty ingenious like i love that shot the last thing i wanted to mention before we go to break uh you guys were talking about how there isn't a lot of dialogue which is mostly true but there are two or three scenes where characters deliver these short but quite Herzogian monologues uh, that I I think are going to be a maker. Like some people are really going to like them, and some people are going to think they stop the movie in its tracks. Um, but uh, I think I I like all of them. I like Bruno Gans gets a short one. Dracula gets at least one, if not a couple, and Isabella Gianni gets one too. Uh, when she's arguing with uh, with Dracula about the omnipresence of death. And she says, I wrote this down. Death is overwhelming. Eventually, we are all his. Um, and just, I don't know, like these little florid, uh, these little florid speeches that people give that obviously wouldn't have been in the original as much, I actually really dig. Yeah, they're almost kind of like if you put a title card up, you know, for in, in this the silent movie, like you'd have yeah. to have a big, a nice little big long speech. I'm I'm fine with that. There's there you know, okay, you need Dracula to give a speech every now and again. He can't just be this this grunting figure that okay, that sneaks around and tries you know, to molest you. Yeah, yeah, it sniffs like a like he does look like a rat. So you can't just have that. It is good that he has a speech every now and again. I think the characters definitely deserve that too. Uh, you want to understand these people a little bit more because there are one of the great things about the Dracula story is the the personalities involved um, are interesting. So, and this does stick fairly closely. I mean, Lucy is nothing like Lucy in the book. She is she is Mina. It's just been a name swap. So, yeah, sort of this innocence and and purity. And Lucy in the in the original novel was um, was more of a firecracker. Well, she she has innocence and purity. Uh, but she also like, and this is where it comes in handy that they have Isabella Johnny, who is, you know, the, the picture of beauty and all that, but also she can glower with the best of them. Yes. Uh, if she has to, she can absolutely <laughs> radiate intensity. Uh, yes. And, and has, has, has strength of resolve as well. Yeah. And that, that, that comes in really handy for that last act. Yeah. By the way, I like how I rented the movie, not once, but twice. And I just found out that it's free on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> like i i just went to youtube to go rewatch one of the clips before we go into break and yeah the entire film is on youtube yeah. <laughs> good tip for everybody. i i owned i owned a physical copy so I, that was one of the other reasons i suggested it because i'm it's given me an excuse to go through my dvds <laughs> <laughs> all right well we probably should take a, a quick break uh when we come back we'll do our five questions but before that here's another clip from nosferatu the vampire you must excuse my rude entrance. I'm Count Dracula. I know of you from Jonathan's diary. 
Since he has been with you, he is ruined. He will not die. Yes, he will. Death is overwhelming. Eventually, we all is. Stars spin and reel in confusion. Time passes in blindness. Rivers flow without knowing their course. Only death is cruelly sure. Dying is cruelty against the unsuspecting. But death is not everything. It's more cruel not to be able to die. I wish I could partake of the love which is between you and Jonathan. Nothing in this world, not even God, can touch that. And it will not change, even if Jonathan never recognizes me again. I could change everything. Will you come to me and be my ally? That be salvation for your husband. And for me, the absence of love is the most abject pain. Salvation comes from ourselves alone. And you may rest assured that even the unthinkable will not deter me. All right, that was another clip from Nosferatu the Vampire. Uh, we have reached the portion of our podcast where we ask our five questions. Now, we always like to start off positive. So, Simon, you chose this movie. What's your favorite scene? Um, there is a lot of really good scenes in this movie. I think I, I just for the sheer mania of it, I'm going to go with the Last Supper sequence where, which we sort of talked about a little bit, but, you know, as death really descends on this town and people start to lose their minds uh, properly, the movie changes into this creepier, more manic register where we've got these uh, these sort of incidental characters gathered around a dinner table having a banquet and there's just rats everywhere. They're on the table. They're behind them. They're under the table. And the actors just are just are not allowed to acknowledge the rats. <laughs> and it's the vibe for lack of a better word. There's no real dialogue in that scene until like, at, I, near, I mean, there's a, there's a long silent bit and then later there's dialogue, but it's really that silent bit where there's just music and these people, um, you know, partying amid death. Uh, is really really striking we were talking about the commentary earlier and i don't think i don't believe herzog is trying to comment about his contemporary society of 1979 i think he is just making a jet this and this is a very herzogian thing to do he's making a general comment about the concept of society Mm -hmm. Um, and i think because he's going so universal with it i think it basically lands uh, and it's very unsettling hey you know that scene it's incredible, but I could not help but think that Lars von Trier watched this movie when he was younger, and that scene decided what his career was going to be. Like, it feels like it's it's lifted from a Lars von Trier film. Mm, it it does have like it sound, has that level of subtlety. Yeah. The mood, 
the visuals, the touch of of slow motion, the confusion, the dread. It's it's wow. It's 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 a great scene. And the humor, like it is also sort of funny. Yeah, like there's me. like a kid trying to hump like a goat for some reason on the table. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That seems very Werner Herzog to me. Um, all right, Rick, what's your favorite scene? Okay, I did mention the scene in which he walks into Lucy's room earlier on the podcast, and you you get that amazing visual trick with the shadow. I think yeah. that's a great camera trick. Yes, mm-hmm. but the door opening and the shadow. Yeah, yeah, because like I'm assuming he was already in the room, and they play with the lights, so someone maybe yeah opens the door from outside of the room, the door swings open, but he's already in the room and he's already maneuvering his body to manipulate the shadow. And then he walks towards her closer and closer Uh, and eventually standing next to her. Good old fashioned shadow play. You got that's what we call great in camera special effects, boys and girls. But my favorite scene is actually the dinner sequence with Jonathan and Dracula. When Mm. Jonathan accidentally cuts himself and Klaus Kinski's Dracula cannot help but suck his blood. It's the first real, it, it, it's our introduction to him, the character, Dracula. Like, he actually gets to speak for the first time. He has a conversation with Jonathan. And you just get to see how creepy, hypnotic, and incredible Klaus Kinski's performance is. And again, with the physical movements and the way he expresses himself through his physicality not necessarily through the makeup and and his dialogue but i mean it's a an incredible performance and he can't stop looking at bruno gans like if you watch the scene his eyes never ever stop looking towards the direction of Bruno Gans <laughs> yeah. until he has to pick up the wine. And that's when you see his long ass nails. So it's not, it's already bad enough that the guy is bald and pale and he looks like a rat <laughs> and he's got the, the weird buck tooth. And, and then he has like these creepy long nails. And that's when you kind of like realize that there's no way that he sees him the way we, the audience sees him. And this, I mean, this to me is the like no offense to Bella Lugosi or Christopher Lee, but to me, this is the best portrayal of Dracula ever. Yeah, you stole my scene. That was uh, definitely my favorite scene. I love that scene. Um, and I, I also like it, it just adds so much depth to the Dracula character. I love and this was in the in the novel, but he loves uh, he likes to watch Jonathan Harker eat. And uh, mm. it reminded me a little bit of a movie we did, the movie we did last, uh, the previous week, where you've got the old man who likes to watch Humphrey Bogart drink. Mm. And there's something about that companionship, like he, and that sort of connection to humanity uh, that Dracula still sort of remembers. But he, I mean, there's clearly like an attraction there, but he just likes to watch this person eat, consume, and, and um, you know, satisfy their base instincts. Yeah. And I think, I think there's something interesting about that uh, about a character who who likes that it definitely says something about them as a character yeah and what he they is value. he is cursed to continue to exist but he cannot truly live he has to watch others live yeah. yeah can i just give a quick shout out to the long tracking shot in which jonathan's running through the castle completely lost yes <laughs> great use of steadicam even though it wasn't steadicam and also the shot in which the ship arrives no! in town. I was going to pick that since you stole my scene. I was going to be like, at least I'm going to call out this shot, which I think is the creepiest shot in the movie. Which which shot are we talking about? When the ship when the ship goes through the canal, like first enters frame, 
you see this empty canal and then all of a sudden the ship carrying the coffin sort of mm. slowly comes in and you just watch it go down this canal. I love that shot. Love it's it. incredible. It is incredible. That is to me, one, 100% a Herzog shot. That's like trying to lift a ship over a mountain. Yeah. I, and I just all... love that he's stuck with it. So all the little things that your brain is thinking, like it, it hits the trees, you know, it's like the little brand that some of the rigging hits the branches and you just sort of see this ship sort of, it, it slides in so smoothly and then it's, things just start to go sort of awry because he's letting the ship just go. It, it hits the side, it, it hits the tree, it sort of bounces off. Like it's, it's, I don't know, there's something, there's a lot in that shot that I really like. Yeah. Mm. By the way, uh, just a quick correction. I was wrong. There were five big motion pictures about Dracula released in 1979, not three. What were they other than this one? Love at First Bite, uh, Dracula. <laughs> Oh, have you seen that one? It's a, it's no. a, it's not good, but it's. Uh, it's... I've seen it. It's uh, what's his name? Um, George uh, Hamilton, right? Love yes, yes, yeah. yes. Oof. There's Dracula with Frank. What's his name again? Frank Langella. Langella. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Nocturna, which I have not seen. I don't know that one. That is uh, no idea. <laughs> it looks good though. The poster looks good. And there's Thirst, which, not to be confused with the Korean film, this, of course, is the Rod Hardy film. And then Salem's Lot, which I'm sure oh. is maybe the most popular because it's actually based yeah. off of uh, Stephen King. Or, yeah, he wrote it, right? Yeah. 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 He helped write the screenplay. Yeah. Damn, that is a lot of empires for one year. You're not wrong. <laughs> well, that because that, that's the thing. Because, like, you mentioned that uh, the actual story went into public domain. Do you know what year that was? I don't know exactly. <laughs> It was sometime in the seventies. I can tell you that. It was as soon as Herzog wanted to make the movie. That's for yeah. Sure. Which I mean, I assume that when Herzog wants to make a movie, it gets done pretty quickly. Um. Yeah. So our asked and answered. What's our next question, Patrick? All right. <laughs> if there was, if there's one thing you could change about this movie, Simon, especially since you picked this movie, if there's one thing you could change, what would it be? It's we too haven't short. heard too many too many negative things about this. It's, By the way, too... it was 1962, 50 years after he died. There you go. Ah, okay, that makes sense. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I think they're they're. I don't I don't know if if that's the date Herzog would have been going by, or if there was some other holdup. But anyway, um, yeah, it's too it's too short. The movie is too short. All of Herzog's movies are like uh, pretty tightly controlled in terms of length. But uh, I would absolutely tack on another 20 minutes to this movie what? just because this is I would. Simon Howell saying he wants a movie to be longer. I want it to be longer because <laughs> I love the pacing. I love how methodical it is. But then as as uh, we sort of get that plot pivot when uh, Dracula arrives um, uh, at the town and, and Lucy really takes over the movie and it's it's quite sudden. And I just I wish I, I wish we could have had a little bit more. Uh, to flesh out um, some of those characters and relationships and the and the vibe a little bit more, uh, because uh, when when the movie's over, I'm like, damn, I I would luxuriate in that vibe a little longer and uh, and see and get a few more little glimpses into the uh, the moral universe of this movie, and even, hell, even get a few more of those those weird little speeches. I could have gone more. I think it would have made it a better movie. Weirdly. In a way, it's kind of a race to the finish at the end, but it does it does um, linger on Lucy quite a bit. It's just that with everybody else, with Harker and and Dracula, the characters that you spend so much time with in the first half, it is a race to the finish with them. 
Um, yeah, they all end up like, not really being characters, which is really funny, especially Van Helsing, like being a total non-entity in this movie is quite funny. Yeah, that whole thing. Yeah, the, it's odd because he I, have you guys read the, the book? Not yeah. recently. When I was a Van, kid, though. I mean, Van Helsing isn't this, you know, he doesn't cut a heroic figure in, in the novel either. He is a scientist. He always has. And he's a professor at college at a college. Uh, he's, he's Danish, I believe. Um so he's really not this, like, Van Helsing is turned into this sort of heroic figure. He was more of a scientist. There was another doctor in, in the in the book as well. Um, the, the the problem with him in this movie, it's not his beliefs or what he thinks. No, it's the fact that he's so old. Yeah. Yeah, he, yeah. He's, he's well, quite dusty. I mean, Anthony Hopkins played him in, in Coppola's version. Um, you could play yeah, 30 old. 30 years ago. <laughs> Uh, all right, so Rick, what would you change? Man, I just got to say, I'm completely curious about this film that I've never heard of, Nocturna. the One of the five <laughs> Dracula movies that was released in 1979, because the movie's about Dracula's granddaughter falls in love with a disco guitarist. Hell yes. And runs away to New York City. <laughs> I guess we Woo! know what we're doing next week. All right. What is a disco <laughs> guitarist? I, I mean, presumably it's like a funk, like someone who throws some like some some guitar flange on the track. Amazing. What's the question? <laughs> what would you change? What would you change? Would you change uh, that we would rather? Okay, so this is easy. So I, first of all, I disagree with Simon. It would not make the movie longer. But I do not like the ending because it's kind of hokey and 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 funny, but it just doesn't feel like it belongs in this movie because Jonathan turns into a vampire. He's like standing there, like waiting for the maid to clean up the floor. So he can like so run he away. Can <laughs> <laughs> I know she didn't think that was weird at all. Because he's got, look, you can't see this dirt on the floor. Oh, I fuck, could not really stop good. laughing. He's just waiting for the maid to clean up the floor. And then we get the man who walks in and tries to get the old man to arrest Van Helsing. And then like, he's trying to explain to the guy that everyone's dead and there's nowhere to put him. Like it's funny. And I enjoy the scene. But if I could change something, there's got to be a better way to end the movie. Would you have stuck with the, would you have just reverted to the original ending or would, or, or do you like the idea of changing the ending completely? I mean, I like the idea of having Lucy be sort of like the hero. And I do like the idea of John, like Jonathan's never been an interesting character, not in the novel, no. not no. in any movie. He's just, he is what he is like. That's why it's cool he's not, like, around for the second half. Yeah, but the, but the problem is he turns into the vampire at the end of the film. That's what I don't like about it. Like, he becomes a new Dracula, and he's, like, the most boring character. Well, not anymore. Well, he's going to have a now lot of Dracula. time. He's going to have a lot of time to develop that personality. Dude, he went off into the sunset riding a horse. I thought that was awesome. That was he went weird. off into, like, the <laughs> desert or something. Like, I don't know where he was. He was somewhere to tease the, the world. The, to tease the sequel, which we he haven't He went to New mentioned. York City to find a disco <laughs> guitarist. brought to in Venice. <laughs> yeah, no, we're not making this one up. I thought Ricky was making it up, but it's a real movie. No, it's a real movie. I've never heard of it. 1979. It's got a wicked-ass poster. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's what I would change because, like, the, the the thing is, when I when when you ask me this question, Patrick, I try to think of changes where it doesn't change the entire film. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And so this is sort of like they could just reshoot the ending, and you still like it doesn't change what comes before it because I wouldn't want to change what comes before it because I like everything prior to the ending. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, well, yeah, no, I, I understand that. And you could definitely change the ending and, and, and you'd have a, you'd end on a creepier note. It ends on a, a strange tone, but that's maybe the tone that, that Herzog was going for. He's a strange man. <laughs> uh, you guys probably aren't going to like this choice of mine, but I really did not like the music. So I would change the score. I, no, I don't. I, wow. I don't agree. Yeah. I don't know exactly what I would do, but I would do whatever is not what the current score is. The current score took me completely out and I, it killed the vibe for me in a lot of things that where I otherwise liked what was going on. Um, yeah, just not, not my favorite score. Of all so time. you mean the actual score by the band? Popova. Yeah. yeah. Popova, yes. but not necessarily remove Wagner from the actual score. No, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't remove him. I would, uh, I would remove the Popova. You'd stuff. stick with the Nazi. Got it. Yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, they knew music. Um, <laughs> yeah, for whatever the, the reason, like the it just kind of it gave it kind of a. Would you prefer a disco soundtrack? <laughs> that would have really. You know what? That's so much different. This was kind of like lukewarm water. Well, mm. what is that line from? Uh, from Gangs of New York, because you are neither hot nor cold, I shall spew you from my mouth. That's kind of the way I felt with this score. Uh, maybe a disco score would have done the trick, though. Damn. Uh, no no, no mellow psych rock jams for Patrick, I guess. <laughs> I, I really, I like their scores in isolation and I like them in the movies. I just, I, I dig the uh, the instrumentation and the mood of their scores sure. a lot. Uh, all right, what's our what's our next question? What do we got? Uh, all right, keep, so, well, that is the... Through. The MVP thing here. MVP. Oh, Who wow. is your... This, this, this is potentially debatable. Sometimes we have such a clear-cut MVP that we have to sort of like immediately acknowledge, oh, the director is not an option here. I feel like you could easily make a case that, that somebody here is, besides Herzog, is the MVP. But Simon, you go for it. There is a very obvious choice for the MVP of this movie. It's... Uh, you think about who made the greatest sacrifice. You think about... Who was the most committed? You think who understood the vision and did what they had to do? It's the, the answer to that question is the rats. It's got to be the rats or the MVP <laughs> because many of them died in the making of this movie. And that is actually, if I could change anything actually about the movie, it would be that no rats had to die to make it. That um, would not be a Werner Herzog movie, though. That man does not care about killing. No, people. well, it's this was also, I mean, look, this was the era of Apocalypse Now and sure. like, other... This weekend was the, when the pig gets hit on the head with a sledgehammer. Yeah, this is just it was the air. It was the Wild West before animal rights had been invented. And um, look, a lot of bad things happened, and Herzog did some very bad things to a lot of rats, uh, many of whom died. Um, this is like a, a classic Herzogian thing. Here is that he he really wanted the rats to 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 be gray, uh, and, you know, to indicate that they were you know didn't dirty. like creepy dirty creepy death rats because normal um, rats don't look creepy and dirty don't yeah exactly especially not <laughs> thousands of them at a time uh so they he wanted to, to spray paint the rats he was told by their expert um who uh, had many complaints about how this movie was made uh that it was stupid because the rats would that it wouldn't like the rats would just would 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 get rid of the dye. They would get it off of they'd each other. Lick the paint off. They'd, yeah, yeah, they'd lick the they'd yeah, you'd lick the dye off. And Herzog insisted on doing it anyway. And 
just a total calamity and yeah lots of them just they they yeah they ate each other and drowned and and now everyone just canceled herzog on twitter listen yeah oh i mean look i mean herzog did a lot of very uh it was it was rumored actually for a long time i think the rumor ended up not being true that so that um several people died on the set of Fitzcarraldo uh in a in a plane crash or something anyway i'm like there there's rumor and there's real stuff a lot of the rumor is i'm sure bullshit but it is not bullshit that many rats died in the making of this film so they are the mvps obviously well they're very well behaved rats i will say that they hit their marks pretty good pretty well the way that they're arranged in the frame in some shots is exquisite and i don't know whether that means it's good rat acting or good rat handling (laughs) or good rat choreography or or excellent luck which is always a possibility in also filmmaking. possible yeah um all right rick can you top the rats i'm gonna give it to klaus kinski and here's why i know usually we go with the director but first of all herzog didn't exactly invent the story it's based off of bram stoker's novel and let's not forget that a good chunk of the movie is a remake of the original film to the point where he recreates those iconic shots right which so, still end up being iconic shots in this movie, too. Like, I think people true. will remember some of those mm-hmm. iconic shots. Right. But then you have to take into consideration that he had no say in the actual creation of the score, which I think really improves the movie. So I disagree with you, Ugh. Patrick. I agree with Simon. And hey. then he's not really behind the cinematography, although he is sort of like directing everyone on set. But the point is, I think Herzog just had an incredible crew. But I think what makes this movie stand out and the reason why people remember the movie is because A, the rats, and B, Klaus Kinski's performance. I think that's what stands out, right? And so, it you, I mean, you could give it to Herzog, but I'm just going to give it to Klaus Kinski because I really do think it's the best performance of Count Dracula. Like, I just think it's so iconic and so creepy and so hypnotic, and he's just incredible in the film, and he's in almost every frame. I just, I, I just like, he's the reason why I like this movie, not because of Herzog's, I mean, God, it's hard. I just don't want to pick the director, so I'm just going to pick yeah. the actor this time. Well, I think it, it's a fair choice. You don't have to even you know, qualify it like that. Like, the, the, I think the reason that this movie works really well is Kinski. I, he is hypnotic. He's exactly what his vampire is supposed to be. You cannot take your eyes off him. He is the most fascinating thing about the movie. That's not to say that Herzog didn't do a good job with other parts. Like I say, I love the opening journey. I think that's all done really well. And there's some other shots in the movie that I'll remember that don't involve Kinski. Um, and and Isabella Ajani does a great job selling the movie at the end because she's got to carry the entire thing for, for mm-hmm. the second half of the movie. Um, but Kinski is the reason that, that people are going to remember this movie. Yeah, the, like, okay, those... put, put it this way. Like, let's say he didn't cast... Klaus Kinski. Let's say Bruno Ganz was the freaking vampire instead, right? So you, you could put the makeup on him, but you're not still going to get the same performance. It might come across as goofy, or maybe we'd have a completely different portrayal of Dracula, which would be more of the 70s sexy vampire, like dancing to disco for all we know. Yeah. Nocturna. I mean, the he pulls off two things at once um, that are very difficult to do. One, he showcases emotion, which he does through an intense amount of like four hours of makeup. Um, in, in fact, if anything, it's it, he, he uses it to amplify the emotions, but at the same time, he's also very unsettling to look at. He's very creepy. Um, whether you can see him in like in reality or whether he's just projecting a shadow 
on the on the entire side of a house um like he's uh he's got the physical creepiness down pat um which we should also give credit uh to max shrek here because in a, in a sense both kinski and herzog are the whole thing is an homage to that performance but uh he's all i think you're right ricky that he maybe and maybe it's just the fact that it's you know it's it's a it's an updated aesthetic um and it's not hampered by um like it's a more direct access to the to the fright of the performance um and the the sense of it uh, that it it does feel heightened and perhaps uh, even dare I dare say a greater experience than watching Shrek do it. Yeah, and I think uh, like the makeup alone doesn't do the job. It's clearly Kinski that is doing the job here because you can look at something like Willem Dafoe in Shadow of the Vampire, and I know that that movie is more of a dark comedy, but he is trying to play creepy, and it just doesn't. It's not magnetic in that movie. People it's not this. It's good, but it's not this. But it's the same makeup. It's just a different actor that is, you know and it's a slightly different role which i get but it um it still is not the same thing there's something about kinski's eyes here that's the haunting part it's not just it's not the makeup it's the way he looks at things and that that's what really draws you into this character um he could have not been wearing any makeup at all and i think he still would have been maybe the most fascinating thing in this movie <laughs> it's very possible um all right so uh the howard hawks test guys we have not talked about a single bad scene in this movie, so the task now with finding one does this pass the three great scenes and no bad ones test? No, wait, I, it doesn't because I already mentioned that the ending is not good. Well, you mentioned you laughed at it. You just think that you'd remove it to to work for the rest of the movie. But is it truly a bad scene? I like that scene. I think it's funny. I just think it might be out of place in the movie. I mean, I could sort of, I could see your point on that, but it, but I don't think it's a badly done scene. I, I think it's a badly done scene. I think it's poorly okay. acted. I think the dialogue is bad. I mean, it's it's beyond silly. Like the fact that the guy is trying to get the old man to arrest him, and and freaking uh, Harker standing at the corner waiting for the maid to clean up the floor. I mean, it's 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 kind of silly. And, and the maid doesn't recognize communion wafers on the ground. Like she would know exactly yeah. what those were. Communion uh, wafers for the, are. For the record, <laughs> I agree that it's goofy, but I don't agree that it's bad. I think it's good actually. Yeah, I like the scene personally. I mean, I could watch that scene. It's, it's got a lot of goofy stuff in it. Um, all right. So, but well, so Rick, you're going to say a no. Could you find three great scenes? Three, uh, three scenes that you think are great? Does it? I think batteries? there's five great scenes. I think there is the scene in which he plays with the shadow and he walks into Lucy's room and she stares into the mirror. I think there is the scene in which the ship arrives at the town. I think there's the scene in which Jonathan is running through the castle and it's an, it's a nonstop endless, like one take shot. I think um, the scene that Simon mentioned, this favorite scene with the slow motion, hypnotic, creepy uh, party going on outdoors in the town square while they're celebrating the fact that they're going to die is an amazing scene. And I think number five uh, might actually be the um, the scene in the inn is kind of great too, actually. So, And to be honest, the scene where, I mean, the actual climax of the movie, no pun intended, when he actually does attack uh, Lucy mm -hmm. is really, really hypnotic. And my favorite scene, the dinner sequence. So there's seven great scenes. Yeah. Um, the, uh, I, the, the other thing I wanted to mention about that outdoor dinner sequence with the rats, it, it also made me think a little bit of, uh, Peter Greenaway. It had like, it, it didn't look like it, but it had like the flare. It what had do you mean, the, like the, 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 the wife, the lover? 
Yeah, I mean, just in terms of this tableau of people having dinner and there's rats everywhere. Well, I know. yeah, I know it's funny you say that because Peter Greenaway's movies like highly inspired and by like these famous paintings. And I could not help but think that that scene looked like a painting. Like you can press pause and it'll be a great yeah. screensaver for your computer if like you're down with like some really like, depressing yeah, shit. <laughs> he he doesn't have the patience for like a three minute take with no camera movement the way Peter Greenaway would do it. But 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 is, is this is tricky because like like I love this movie. Like I said, I put it on my list of like the 100 greatest horror films of the 20th century. So like that scene does not ruin the movie for me, even though it comes right at the end. So I guess I could say it does pass the Howard Hawks test, but I mean, it's still such a weird scene. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I still like it. Uh, Simon, Simon, what about you? Any bad scenes in this? No, there's no bad scenes in this movie. And there's, and it's almost all at least like striking scenes. There's not many, there's not a lot of, um, for a movie that is quite deliberate in its pacing and like has sort of, hallmarks of like european film pacing there's not a lot of fat on it um still despite that do you like the scene in which um klaus kinski is running around with coffins like in the middle of the night sneaking yes. around the town yes i do it reminds yeah. me of like a music video from i don't know like the 80s mm, yeah i know what you mean i kept waiting for some kind of like a uh physical humor to develop out of that i mean there is a little bit just watching him drag coffins around but i kept waiting for tim burton's old band oingo boingo to show up <laughs> you mean uh not tim burton's old band uh you mean danny, danny elfman's old danny old elfman. sorry <laughs> all right so uh i i'm gonna fall i also don't think that, that there's any bad scenes in this movie i can't i can't think of anything that i would call bad however i don't know that i could come up with three what i would call great scenes either so I'm going to have to say no, it doesn't pass just because of that. The, I, I didn't warm to the movie quite as much as you guys have. Um, not Wait that a minute, I, then if you're saying no, I'm going to say no. It does what? not pass the test. Yeah. Yeah, I can't come up with three great scenes. I can um, come up what? with three great scenes, but I still think that last scene is problematic. So okay, we're going to say enough. no for different reasons. Simon's all by himself. All right, fine. I'm fine with that. <laughs> but here, 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 okay, here's, here's my question, because we usually replace question number five. Are we gonna, actually going to ask if like this movie is for a, a newer audience, a newer generation? or? I think we should. I think we should say, does this movie have an audience going forward? 100%. Can this be a, a vampire movie that people will actually get into? Given how much vampire movies have changed since this movie was made, can this movie still grab a younger audience's attention that just wants I'm... to watch a vampire movie? I'm going to say yes, not just because I picked it, but also just because um, I'm really curious now to see what Eggers is going to do with this property title, whatever, um, because I'm imagining I, the lighthouse, but with vampires. Is yeah, he going to cast I mean, Rob, Robert Pattinson? I sure hope not. I hope um, so. I mean, I love I love our Pats, but I think that's that's too much back in the direction. And plus, I mean, well, actually, Batman. Casting, he can't casting... also be a vampire. You know what? Actually, casting Robert <laughs> That's Pattinson. That's the literal Batman. Because he's kind of the ultimate sexy vampire, or already, thanks to Twilight. Yes. So that going would also back be a bad, and bad move, yeah. Going back and have him having him do a different and I assume uglier version of a sexy vampire would be quite funny. But no, I th- I think the reason that this will still have an audience, first of all, just the Herzog seventies aesthetic, which we have to shout out the guy who shot all of his movies of this period, which is Jorg Schmidt Ritwine. Fuck. I definitely butchered that. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, that guy. His name is but, George, by the way. 
George. Yeah, there you go. Anyway, Schmidt, all the movies, or something like that. Yeah, all the movies they worked on together look awesome, and they look so they look of their time, but in a way that is awesome and like is just not replicable right now. Um, and I think movies that evoke their time in that way are always going to have an audience. But also, um, this is such a a marked contrast to the modern vampire mythos, where it is so. Um, hypersexualized in a very clearly legible way whereas in this movie it's hypersexualized in a way that is really creepy and really unsettling and genuinely animalistic and 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 at times hard to watch uh even if it is i guess some people would say erotic um and i i don't know i just think it's movies like this that take the lore seriously and are able to mine that um for a vibe I think that's that's always going to be timeless. I think there's always an audience for that. That, that. That's really nice of you, Simon. You must surround yourself with really highly intelligent young people because I the problem I have with this question is I think the question is always yes if you're a movie buff, if you're a cinephile, if you want to become a filmmaker or work in film. Yeah, and in that yeah. case, you can say it to every single movie as well. Yes, but I think for the general public, if you are young and you try to get them to sit down and watch this movie, a good chunk of those people are not going to want to they're not going to want to watch it they're just they're just not i'm sorry they're, they're it's it's so of its time it's so unlike movies that are made these days i can't imagine like sitting down with like say you're a teacher like bill messy you know friend of the podcast he's been on a few times he's a film teacher you know he's worked in the film business he's worked at hbo he teaches a bunch of kids and when i say kids actually he teaches young adults 22 25 years old He's always complaining about how they've never watched movies that were made before 1990 or even the year 2000. And you, you right, think, okay, like there's nothing you can do for those people. Like, I know, if, but if I'm just totally saying that. Curious. This about... is this is the 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 thing about this question. We ask it yeah. week in week out, and I think the answer is always if you're a movie buff, yes. Yeah. Well, the the spirit of the question is all right. Just because you haven't seen a movie before 1990 or before 2000, the question about like a movie like this is could it hold up? If you showed it to somebody like that, who is a fan of who is a fan of the genre, right? Like, so if you're a fan of crime movies or thrillers, can you still watch The Big Sleep? Can you still watch a film noir and have it hold up? And if you're a fan of horror, could you still like a, a modern day? Could this hold up to a modern audience? Yeah. Could a modern audience just be surfing through Netflix and see Nosferatu the Vampire come up, start watching it, and actually? be okay with it because i think a lot of times what happens with people is they they just they forget about old movies for one thing and then when they're reintroduced to them they realize how great they are i mean i've 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 turned people on to casablanca you know which is, seems like you shouldn't have to do that but then when somebody watches it then they'll say to me like wow that was a really good movie as well, if they're shocked that a good movie could have been made back in the 1940s. right i mean that's why the the version of this question that i always like to pretend i'm answering is what sort of people would you recommend this movie to um which is the more the more positive formulation and the type of people i would recommend this movie to is really any open-minded horror fan anyone um because that rules out a lot of the people you're complaining about but also i just think that the movie is some some parts of it are kind of funny but overall i think the seriousness translates the creepiness translates and it's not going to bore uh, pe- uh people who, even who, if they're even if they're more into modern horror films so the, I, I think one of the reasons we started this question, like great storytelling is great storytelling. And my, my Casablanca story or anecdote is like, that's what I mean by that. Like it's going to last throughout time. So it's not, uh, 
It doesn't matter what decade a movie was made in. If it was great storytelling, it will still be compelling to people. The question is like, um, there are movies that that lose that luster over time. That their method, that their 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 methods for telling the story are exposed over time. And like Rick, maybe it sounds like this movie doesn't do the trick for you anymore. Oh, it does. I love this movie, but I think like when it comes to movies about vampires and Dracula, there has been thousands and hundreds yeah. about Dracula himself, the actual novel. And I think, you know, like. If if I had to rec okay, if I had to recommend a movie about Dracula, about the specific novel or the character written by Bram Stoker, right? Like, I'm gonna recommend it to say my nephew. I'm gonna recommend Francis Ford Coppola's film first before recommending this film. Yeah, well, that's a more like that's a that's a eye candy movie. So I mean, Coppola's movie, I think anybody can watch that because they're just gonna be blown away by all the visuals that are happening in that movie, right? But but if someone and wanted it's full to of get famous in, people, etc. Yeah, it's yeah. just it's just an easier way to sort of like grab someone's attention, get them interested in the genre or the yes. book or the story or whatever. But if you want to introduce someone to Herzog's filmography, it would be interesting to choose this first because it's really the only genre film he's made, like horror film. Like you know, like you, you, for them to watch this and then watch Fitzcarraldo or Aguirre, The Wrath of God, or Cobra Verde, like those movies are so completely different. So it it is a mm. Herzog film, but I don't even know if it would be the best way to introduce someone to Herzog. I mean, I think it's a good way. I think the fact that it's his only genre movie, sort of. I mean, we could talk about Bad Lieutenant and some horror other film, though horror film. Yeah, only horror film. Bad certainly. Lieutenant would be a great way to introduce someone to Herzog nowadays in 2021. The movie is kind of an outlier in his filmography, but I mean, a lot of his movies are outliers and he's made a lot of different types of movies from experimental short form documentaries to feature docs to uh, about, about light subjects, heavy subjects. He did a a TV series. Um, He's made all all kinds of movies. There's no perfect gateway, Uh, but I think this is a pretty good one. And it also, of course, showcases his most famous uh, partnership with Kinski. Look, look, if I had to recommend uh, three movies for someone that wants to get into Herzog, like I would I would recommend The Bad Lieutenant because that movie is just batshit fun, especially if you're a fan of like David Lynch, because it seems like he was inspired by Lynch at times. I would recommend Cobra Verde. Great movie. It's it's a masterpiece. It's 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 like the one you gotta watch, and I yeah I guess Nosferatu the vampire. You're not gonna do any docs. Grizzly Man would be a great way to. <laughs> that's the the most accessible. Yeah, I would actually I would say the the the, the lightest the the easiest way to introduce uh, people to his doc side I would say is Encounters at the End of the World. Because it doesn't have like, yeah, he's made better documentaries, but this one, it's got a little bit of a lot of different things that he does. And it's also quite fun and funny to watch. Yeah, there's also Rescue Dawn. You know, that was a pretty like, quote unquote, mainstream film at the time, released in 2006, starred Christian Bale. Yeah, that was actually his, but that must have been his most successful film, period, like in his biggest film. It was, it was pretty popular. It got a bunch of like award nominations and yeah. What's all the last thing I'm going to say about Herzog is that recently he did a pretty big looking movie with Nicole Kidman and our boy Robert Pattinson uh, and others called Queen of the Desert. And it was a big, lavish, expensive production and uh, no one saw it. It was released nowhere and no one liked it, (laughs) which is quite a feat. 
which means he probably won't be doing one of those again anytime no, soon. No, probably not. Uh, with with Robert Pattinson as T.E. Lawrence, a.k.a. Lawrence of Arabia. And the great thing is that uh, Werner Herzog is unlikely to care. No, he does not give a shit. He would yeah. Uh, no, he'll he he follows his muse. He makes the movies he wants to make, and he does not care what you are. I think. And occasionally he acts in something like The Mandalorian. So like, just get Indeed. some money, probably to fund some crazy movie that he's trying to do. Here's my quick question for you before we wrap up the show: What is your favorite vampire movie of all time? Oh boy, favorite vampire movie. Uh, <laughs> that's a tough one. God, I got to think about it over the. Well, I really like Fright Night, the original one. I think that's a very fun vampire movie because it you, you use a lot of the cliches, and I love the like the whole vampire hunter thing, the Van Helsing thing with Roddy McDowell. That to me is one of the most fun vampire movies I think. So I, I, if you ask, if you asked me when I was eighteen years old what my favorite vampire movie was, it would have been Blade. Ooh, okay, that's a fun answer. Yeah, if, Blade and Blade Two are all right. They're good, good, good movies. Yeah, if you ask me 10 years later, maybe not even 10 years later. I don't know. If you asked me like a little later on, I would have said uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. If you ask me now, I would say let the right one in, the Swedish version. Okay. Yeah, I didn't I didn't care for that one uh, personally. Of course you but... didn't. <laughs> of course you All didn't. All I found were script problems. Boy, you should have heard me coming oh out of theater God. after that one. Patrick, um... God damn it. Um... <laughs> I went off on that movie script. Just, just off on it. <laughs> Ricky and I are just like, we can't deal with this today. <laughs> I didn't even watch the American version just because the Swedish one left such a bad taste in my mouth. Um. <laughs> I'm guessing Simon's favorite film that is like uh, probably this one. That's your guess? Favorite vampire That's movie? That's your guess? Let's see. I think your favorite vampire film is... is is if not Nosferatu, then it's it's the Herzog film. No, nah, I'm gonna go with Near Dark. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Boom. You know, I had so many problems with the script of that movie. Just... <laughs> 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 I'm just joking. Love that movie. That's that movie fucking. Write a I think that might be my favorite. Everything uh... wrong with Let the Right One In. That might um, be my favorite Catherine Bigelow movie, but I would have oh, to rewatch it. Oh, by the way, okay, um, just a quick shout out. I've mentioned this several times on the podcast. We should, I should actually pick this movie one day. Daughters of Darkness. Hidden gem. Every time I recommend it to anyone, they love it. 1971 film, Daughters of Darkness. It is an amazing vampire film that no one's seen. Ooh. You've seen I it, Simon. Seen it. We, have we, I? Dude. <sighs> Went to your house, me, you, Justine. I picked two movies that neither of you have seen. You guys were blown away. Daughters of Darkness was was one of them. And the second film was Alucarda. 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 Dracula spelled backwards. It's actually a Dracula spelled backwards. A Dracula, yeah. (laughs) uh, Alucarda fucking rocks. Daughters of Darkness rocks too, man. I don't remember Daughters of Darkness. Why don't I remember it? It's it's great. Go, Go... Watch I'll watch trailer. it again. Yeah. <laughs> All right. On that note, we should probably wrap this this podcast up here. Uh, Simon, any news? Anything on any front? Not at not at this time. Not at this time. All right. Nothing with me either. Rick, where can people find you and the podcast? Well, you can find the podcast over at sortedcinema.com. It will redirect you to the main site, but whatever, sortedcinema.com. The podcast is available to listen to everywhere from YouTube to Amazon to 
Where do people listen to podcasts? iTunes. Did I say that? Like everywhere. Podbean, YouTube, Amazon. <laughs> Repeating <laughs> myself. It's on like 10 or 12 different channels. But the point is sortedcinema.com. I'm on Twitter, Sorted Cinema. And um, yeah, that's about it. Cool. All right. Um, yeah, leave us a comment. What's your favorite vampire movie? Anybody who's seen this movie, it'd be interesting to hear from. Uh, all right, we will be back. Do we know what we're doing next week, Rick? I believe it's your pick. Oh, it's my pick. No, we do know what we're doing next week. That's right. Uh, we're going to be back with Darren Aronofsky's Noah. And we'll I'm fucking stoked, actually. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, it's great. <laughs> well, I'm not I'm, I'm not going to say anything <laughs> exactly because I don't want to get hammered. <laughs> I, I have problems it. with the source material. <laughs> We'll be back next week. The knife is old and could be dirty. It could give you blood poisoning. Please, let me do it. It's the oldest remedy in the world. Oh, forget it. It's hardly worth mentioning. Just a little cut. You, you know, it's only for the best.